probably go backwards a little bit and you'll find the Psalms. And then go to chapter 46. That's the big number 46. All right? If you can't find it, ask your neighbor. They should help. All right? And I think we're there. All right. Well, let's read this together. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though the waters, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Your word is truth. You have spoken to us. I pray, Lord, that you would give us ears to listen. God, I pray that you would encourage us in the gospel. Give us rest. Holy Spirit, please give us understanding so that we can know you more and worship you in spirit and in truth. Uh, speak now to your people. Glorify yourself in Jesus' name. Amen. So this is kind of where we're going with this sermon tonight. If if you can remember one thing as we go, this is what this is what I want you to remember. Though all the powers of darkness seek to destroy us, we can rest in our sovereign God because of who he is and all that he has done for us in Christ Jesus. See, the Psalms are written in response to particular events in particular times and particular places. So these aren't just people sitting in their bedroom randomly coming up with thoughts that they can put on a page. They're responding to something that God has done responding to who God is. In this case, Psalm 46 is written in response to something that takes place in a few places in the Bible. It's a narrative that is repeated first in Isaiah and in 2 Kings and 2 Chronicles. It's the story of when Sennacherib, king of Assyria, brought his armies to invade Jerusalem city of God. And so I want to kind of give us the context here. What, what is the psalmist 
what experience, what event, what is causing the psalmist to write these words? What happened? So there's a king, Hezekiah, the king of Judah. He's in his kingdom, right? He's in the city of Jerusalem, the city of God. Sennacherib, king of Assyria, invades Judah and, and just takes all the cities surrounding the city of Jerusalem. Seems like every fortified city in Jerusalem fell. So as Jerusalem is the last city standing, this king sends some high-ranking military officers to encamp outside Jerusalem with a great army. And so, as King Hezekiah sees the troops outside the city, he sends some of his inner circle to go and meet with them and kind of just see what's going on. What are you guys doing here? And so these high-ranking military officers from Assyria, they, they mock the faith of the people to their face at the city walls in their language. And so Hezekiah's men go, whoa, 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 whoa. We have a common language that we can talk in, that we can communicate in, that these people don't have to know what you're saying. Let's, let's be men about this. Let's not involve the people. We're in charge of our nations. Let's, let's figure this out together. And, and these guys go, no, no, no. We want your people to hear what we have to say. We want them to know that they're in trouble. And we don't want you to get in our way of communicating that to them. And so they go on and uh, in Isaiah chapter 36, you don't need to turn there, I'll just read. Um, they, they, mock, they mock the city of Jerusalem. Uh, they ask them, ooh, I'm in the wrong chapter. Sorry, guys. Please speak to us, blah, blah, blah. They're like, yeah, we want, we want your people to hear. So they stood. They called out in a loud, loud voice in the language of Judah. Hear the words of the great king, the king of Assyria. Don't let Hezekiah deceive you. See, Hezekiah had told the people, trust in the Lord. Trust in the Lord. We're good. As people are here. Trust in the Lord. So they say, don't let Hezekiah deceive you, for he will, he will not be able to deliver you. Don't let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord by saying, the Lord will surely deliver us. This city will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Don't listen to Hezekiah. For thus says the king of Assyria, make your peace with me and come out to me. Then each one of you will eat his own vine, and each one his own fig tree, and each one of you will drink the water of his own cistern until I come and take you away to a land like your own land, a land of grain and wine, a land of bread and vineyards. Beware, lest Hezekiah mislead you by saying, the Lord will deliver us. Has any of the gods of the nations delivered his land out of the hand of the king of Assyria? Where are the gods of Hamath and Arpad? Where are the gods of Sepharvaim? Have they delivered Samaria out of my hand? Who among all the gods of these lands have delivered their lands out of my hand that the Lord should deliver Jerusalem out of my hand. But they were silent and answered him not a word. For the king, Hezekiah's command was, do not answer him. And then Hezekiah's men, they go to Hezekiah with their clothes torn and tell him the words of these military officers. Telling the people, don't listen to Hezekiah. He doesn't know what he's talking about. Say your God is so powerful, but look what we've done. 
There's rubble everywhere because of our great army. Your God doesn't stand a chance. Your city doesn't stand a chance. So they come and tell all this to Hezekiah. And what is his response? Well, Hezekiah, as you've already seen, he's different than some of the other kings that have ruled over Judah and Israel. He actually trusted the Lord. So much so that when he became king, he destroyed the high places of pagan worship in all the land, saying, Yahweh is the one God who we will worship when I am king. And just by his name, his name can literally be translated to the Lord strengthens. So what does Hezekiah do? He doesn't give in. He doesn't just say, okay, we give up. He seeks the Lord. Matter of fact, he tears his clothes, puts on sackcloth, which just displays the the deep emotion and distress that he's feeling as this great army stands outside the city. And he goes to the house of the Lord to pray. And he sends his men to the prophet Isaiah so that perhaps they can hear what the Lord has to say to them. Isaiah prophesies. He responds. He says, don't be afraid of what they've said. Don't be afraid of them. The Lord says that they're going to hear a rumor. They're going to hear that there's a battle elsewhere and they're going to leave. And more than that, their king will be killed in his own land. And so what's crazy is that takes place. The military officers of the king of Syria, they leave because they hear there's something going on. We got to go. But they send this letter back. They send it to King Hezekiah and it basically says, so we're going to leave for a little bit, but I promise you we're going to come back and we're going to come back with a vengeance. We're not done here. Don't think you're out of the woods yet. We'll be back. We're going to destroy you. And so what does Hezekiah do? He receives the letter and he takes it to the Lord and he prays. Lays the letter out in front of him in the house of the Lord. It's recorded in Isaiah. He prays, O Lord of hosts, God of Israel, enthroned above the cherubim, you are the God, you alone, of all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see and hear all the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to mock the living God. Truly, O Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste all the nations and their lands and have cast their gods into the fire. For they were no gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore, they were destroyed. So now, O Lord, our God, save us from his hand, that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone are the Lord. Excuse me. So he prays and Isaiah, a faithful prophet, hears from the Lord again, passes it on to Hezekiah. It's all recorded in Isaiah if you want to read it later. Basically says this, God says, one, I hear you. I know what's going on. Two, I've known what's going to go on because God is sovereign omniscient, he's all-knowing, he's all-powerful. And if you go backwards in Isaiah, 
you actually see that it's prophesied that God would send a raging river through all of Judah, that river being the army of Assyria. Because there was a king before Hezekiah who didn't trust the Lord when there was trouble. In fact, when faced with Rezin, the king of Syria, Ahaz went to Assyria for aid instead of the living God. And so God sends the Assyrian army to rage through Judah as judgment for the sin of Ahaz. God planned the whole thing that he would get all the glory in the end. So we see unlike Ahaz, Hezekiah trusts God to deliver Jerusalem from their enemies and strengthen them in the midst of chaos. But God continues. Not only does he know what's going to happen, he, he set it all up. He knows everything that the enemy is going to do and has done. He promises that he will turn them away. That not one arrow will be shot in the city of Jerusalem. And there will be no siege. He will defend the city. And he does. God defends the city and fulfills all his promises. The army returns. And in the night, the angel of the Lord goes through the camp of the Assyrians. Kills 185,000 troops. They wake in the morning and there's death. Sennacherib retreats to Nineveh and two of his sons come and murder him. The city is safe. Everything that God said would happen came true. God's promises are kept and the people of God rejoice because their defender, Yahweh, has come through once again. So in summary, an enemy approaches the city of God. The king, Hezekiah, intercedes on their behalf. God speaks through a prophet and promises to defend the city and defeat their enemy. And then God keeps his promise. Now with that story in mind, I I want to read the psalm again. Let's go to Psalm 46. This is what the psalmist wrote as he looked back on what happened. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There's a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the most high. God is in the midst of her she shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. 
I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. That's amazing. Sorry. So, to Psalm 46 we go. Like I said, these are written in response to events in places and times. Psalm 46 is in response to Isaiah 36 and 37. And here we have in this psalm, there's three stanzas. The first stanza is the psalmist's argument. This is the summary that we need to understand. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear though this and this and this happens. You see, the people of God, when the army is closed in, they sought refuge in God from their enemy and they sought out God for strength to endure the suffering. And because God is their refuge and strength, because of who he is, his obvious power and might, his sovereignty, his faithfulness to his people, because of all that, they will not fear. Even if the earth gives way, even if the mountains are moved into the sea, even if the sea roars and foams, and even if the mountains tremble at the ocean swelling, the psalmist is using imagery to describe a world in complete chaos. The earth giving way. The land you stand on is crumbling beneath you. The seemingly immovable mountains are being thrown into the sea. The calm currents of the sea is now swallowing you up in a storm. And as the sea roars, the mountains are trembling in fear. Though all that is happening, we will not fear because God is our refuge and strength. As we move into the second stanza, we see there's some contrast. I don't know if you caught it, but we, we see in the first stanza that there's all this chaos. The earth is giving way. The mountains are moving. The seas rage. And yet there's a river whose streams make glad the city of God. The seas rage, but there's a river whose streams make glad the city of God. It seemed like this raging river of Assyria would overtake them. But the river of God's grace sustained them and brought gladness to a city that was victorious over their enemies. The mountains seem to be thrown about. The things that aren't supposed to move are being tossed to and fro. Yet the city of God, because God is in the midst of her, will not be moved. There's a lot of contrast. And there's some facts. God dwells in his city. It's his holy habitation. It's where he's chosen to be with the people and it's where the people come 
to meet with him. And God's house isn't going to be destroyed. If God is who he says he is, no one can destroy his house. and No one can destroy anything if he says they won't. So it says that God will help her when the morning dawns. This is like a daily presence. He's there early in the morning. Any time of day and night, God is present with his people in his city. And to even add more to this great line, in the morning the people found that their enemy had been slain. But how does he do this? It wasn't as if God said, go and attack them. He said nothing about them doing anything. He simply said, don't fear. God commanded the angel of the Lord to go into the camp of the Assyrians. He spoke, he uttered his voice and the earth melts. God simply made a command. The angel of the Lord followed the command and the people were saved. God speaks and things happen. God helps with his word. That's how powerful he is. It's how he created everything. He said, let there be light. And there was light because everything is under the powerful hand of God. The Lord of hosts, that's who he is. The Lord of armies. All the armies bow to God ultimately. They may think they have a king and commander, but God is the ultimate commander over all the armies. And the God of Jacob was their fortress. The God of promise. They don't take shelter, they don't build up walls. The only fortress they need is God himself, who has promised to sustain them as the people of God. And so with all this, they've trusted in this God who protects them, defends them. It's no wonder that in verse eight, they say, come, behold the works of the Lord how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes war cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Nations, come, look at our God. See how great he is. Don't mess with him. This is our God. (laughs) See how good he is. They were enemies and they were destroyed. There was complete chaos. He made peace. And then all of a sudden, for the first time, God speaks. Be still and know that I am God. 
To all the nations, God speaks. Be still and know that I am God. Look at what I have done. And look at what, how what I have done communicates who I am. I'm God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Remember when we were reading what Hezekiah's guys were like mocking the people of God with? They were saying, look, look at all these armies. We got them all. You got no chance. And then God says, actually, I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The other armies, they will fail if I have anything to do with it. This is a powerful God. This is Yahweh, the God. The Lord of hosts, the God of Jacob. Now remember, this is a psalm. These were written as songs for the people of God to sing when they met together. Can you imagine, after all that has happened in this story, in this true story, and the people of God come together and they sing this psalm together? One of the most powerful empires in history is at their doorstep threatening to take their city by force. That's a real, like, we have no concept of what that even feels like as Americans. We just, we haven't really experienced that, especially as young Americans. A nation bigger than them is gonna bully them but they're saved by God. And they come together and they sing this psalm. You imagine the joy and relief in their singing? Everything was going to be lost. Their lives were at stake. And not only that, their God was at stake. They mocked the living God. And what if they defeated them? What does that mean about their God? But they weren't defeated. They come together and they sing. Look what God has done. Come behold his works. I think that's a beautiful picture of what we're supposed to be doing on Sunday mornings. Especially when we sing. And when we hear the preaching. And when we do the sacraments. It's all about beholding the works of the Lord. And we rejoice together with joy and sweet, sweet relief. So, in light of that, I ask, can you sing this song? Do you even know this song? And I'm not talking about Psalm 46. What I mean is, do you understand how this song should be so meaningful to you as a Christian today? I gotta tell you, as I've studied this psalm, I've thought about it and I've prayed through it, I think we need this psalm. Because this is a gospel psalm. 
And in this day and age, the, the imagery used in this psalm feels all too real to me. I look around, I hear the news. Even as we walk outside and we breathe this air, it seems like the earth beneath us may just be giving way. And it feels like the mountains may be moving into the sea. All the things that seem to be so reliable and accessible can just be destroyed in a moment. Just look at just look at this past like week and a half. On I think it was Thursday morning, um, up in paradise, just burned to the ground with no notice. If you see any of the videos, people driving through streets of fire, fleeing for their lives comforting their kids saying it'll be okay we're going to get out they have no home it's gone the city is basically gone in a day and south of us in LA another fire such a tiny spark can destroy so much. And I haven't even mentioned the fact that as some young people went to a bar to just hang out, a man walks in with a gun and takes life. I got to tell you, I, I have family in Chico who were prepared to evacuate. We're wondering if they were going to have a house a few days. I have a wife who teaches at a high school. And I got to tell you, this is real to me. Because every morning, I spend some time in prayer. As I pray for my wife, I have to pray, Lord, please bring her home today. Because I know and in this world, someone can just walk on that campus. And to think of all the violence we hear of against women and children, human trafficking. It's like every other week, my phone goes off unexpectedly with an amber alert. And I have to bow and pray for my daughter. Lord, please. Please keep her here safe but the reality is I can do nothing to keep them safe when it's all said and done I can do nothing when I think of what it would be like if the worst would happen it certainly feels like the earth beneath me is crumbling I don't know I, I can honestly stand here knowing my sinful nature and tell you I don't know if I could keep the faith on my own if the worst were to happen. Why is it like this? It's the fall. It's sin. It's 
And it seems like a simple answer, but how else can you explain it? One bite of an apple or whatever fruit it was, and this whole world has gone into chaos. Where it seems like we can't get out of trouble. The world is standing outside, threatening us daily, asking, where is your God? And on what do you rest this trust of yours? But here's the good news. It may seem like the armies of darkness are winning. It may seem so, but we can sing just like the people of God did. We can sing Psalm 46, that God is our refuge and strength because we have already been delivered from the domain of darkness by our sovereign God through the work of Jesus Christ. Just like God defeated the enemies of the city of God, he's defeated our chief enemy, Satan. He's done it. It's done. God fought our battle for us. He came down to us in Christ. His word came down. John 1, it says, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. And in verse 14, it says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. See, Satan had, had, has two weapons against us. He has sin and death. That was his master plan. If I can get these people to sin one time, I know what will happen to this world. And then when they die, they will perish forever. Satan knew, I know they won't be able to get themselves out of this one. But God came down himself. Jesus did the unthinkable. He humbled himself. He didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but humbled himself as a servant coming in human flesh. See, sin separates us from God. And death, if we are in our sin, guarantees an eternal separation from God and hell. But Jesus did the unthinkable. He took the penalty for our sins, for the sins of the world on the cross. And it was just as God planned it. It was the will of the Lord to crush him, says Isaiah 53. Because our God is faithful to defend his people against any enemy that stands against them. Satan stands accusing us. See, God, they sinned against you. They caused all this trouble in the world, didn't they, God? You have to punish them. 
You're perfectly holy. You're just. You have to punish them. What are you gonna do about it? And then Christ stepped in and became sin, though he knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. When Christ said it is finished on the cross, taking all the wrath of God upon himself, on our behalf, the price had been paid and the Messiah died. God died. Sounds like it's over. Satan won. He killed God. We have a great hope. And we can read Psalm 46.5. God will help her when morning dawns. And on that third morning, the people of God woke up to find their worst enemy, death, slain by the risen Christ. Three days, both of Satan's weapons against the people of God had been completely broken. His bow was broken and his spear was shattered when the Christ walked out of the tomb that day. See, Christ is our federal head, just as Adam represented us as the first man. As 1 Corinthians 15 says, for as in Adam all die, meaning the curse was brought on by sin of Adam and Eve, just as we all died in Adam, in Christ shall all be made alive. That's because Christ in fact did raise from the dead. He died on our behalf, he took the wrath of God on our behalf, and he rose on our behalf, guaranteeing that death would actually bring us to new life. The war was over. God ended the war for our souls. We're delivered from sin and death, but what are we delivered to? This is what I want us to focus on because this is the hope that we have that strengthens us to endure, to have strength in God though everything around us seems like it's crumbling. See, in Psalm 46, 4, it says, there's a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. There's still a river that makes glad the city of God. And it's spoken about in chapter 22 of Revelation. It says, the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be on it and his servants will worship him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun for the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. People of God were looking forward to a Messiah. 
even in this, as this psalm was written. They know God will be exalted among the nations. Just not sure when it's gonna be final. We look forward to a new city, a new Jerusalem. That's our hope. See, this, this is how it all connects. We don't, when we're faced with suffering, we're faced with trouble, God is absolutely present to help us, to comfort us. But deliverance doesn't always look the same. God is able to do anything. But the ultimate hope that we can put all of our being into, that we can put all our trust in, is that no matter what comes our way, if we are in Christ, there awaits us a city that cannot be moved, that God dwells in, that no matter what happens, we can enter into that city with joy and gladness. There will be nothing accursed. We will see his face there. We will reign forever and ever. Perhaps God will deliver us. I've prayed God put out the fires. He may. Wake up tomorrow and there could be none. We would rejoice. But even if they continue, even if everything is gone, we can hold on to the hope of the new heaven and the new earth. Because God is faithful and he's able. He's the Lord of hosts and the God of Jacob. See, we find refuge in the sovereign hand of God who has worked all things for the good of those who love him. We find strength in the finished work of Christ and the hope of the resurrection. Hoping in the new heavens and the new earth is meaningless if you are not in Christ because if you are not in Christ, you have no part in the inheritance that God has promised his people. And so... If you're not a Christian tonight, if you've not entrusted yourself to God in Christ, I beg of you for your own sake, turn to Christ. Turn to Christ for refuge. All the pain and suffering in this world will end if you are in Christ. But if you are not in Christ, you will face his judgment and you will never escape the suffering of this world. In fact, you'll, you'll enter into a place that's much worse. But if you are in Christ, you don't have to fear. And I know that's a tall task. And so I hope that I can help you to know how to find hope in 
strength. And this will be really quick. There's three ways, I think. And it says it in the Psalm, come behold the works of the Lord. I think that's how we endure, we find refuge. Study your Bible, participate in the local church, and pray. In all these, we behold the works of the Lord. This book is not just an academic tool. This is the word of God, and he's communicated to us who he is and what he's done. And I promise you, if you study this book, the help of the Holy Spirit, you, you will find rest in the gospel of Jesus Christ because that's what this book contains. So please consider entrusting yourself to Christ. And if you're a Christian, be encouraged. We have an inheritance that is immovable, a kingdom that can't be shaken. And we know it's real because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. I want to end by just reading Revelation 21. Part of it. This is our hope. This is what we look forward to, and I hope that this is where you draw strength from. That no matter what happens around us, we endure so that we can go to the new heavens and the new earth. We endure for this short time so we can have an eternity in a perfect kingdom. It says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming out, down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with men. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them and as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. God has brought the cosmic war to an end. The weapons of the enemy have been broken. The chasm that stood between God and man is no more. We can find refuge in the sovereign hand of God who has worked all things for the good of those who love him. We can find strength in the finished work of Christ and the hope of the